0: Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom. Um, today I'll be reading from Exodus chapter 28. I'll be reading verse 1 through 5, and then we're going to jump over to verse 31 through 41. And this morning I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Your brother Aaron and his sons Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar will be set apart from the common people. They will be my priests and will minister to me. Make special clothing for Aaron to show his separation to God, beautiful garments that will lend dignity to his work. Instruct all those who have special skills as tailors to make the garments that will set Aaron apart from everyone else so that he may serve me as priest. They are to make a chess piece, an ephod, a robe, an embroidered tunic, a turban, and a sash. They will also make special garments for Aaron's sons to wear when they serve as priests before me. These items must be made of fine linen cloth and embroidered with gold thread and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Make the robe of the ephod entirely of blue cloth with an opening for Aaron's head in the middle of it. The opening will be reinforced by a woven collar so that it will not tear. Make pomegranates out of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and attach them to the hem of the robe with gold bells between them. The gold bells and pomegranates are to alternate all the way around the hem. Aaron will wear this robe whenever he enters the holy place to minister to the Lord, and the bells will tinkle as he goes in and out of the Lord's presence. If he wears it, he will not die. Next, make a medallion of pure gold using the techniques of an engraver. Inscribe it with these words, Set apart as holy to the Lord. This medallion will be attached to the front of Aaron's turban by means of a blue cord. Aaron will wear it on his forehead, thus bearing the guilt connected with any errors regarding the sacred offerings of the people of Israel. He must always wear it so that the Lord will accept the people. Weave Aaron's patterned tunic from fine linen cloth. Fashion the turban out of this linen as well. Also, make him an embroidered sash. Then, for Aaron's sons, make tunics, sashes, and headdresses to give them dignity and respect. Clothe Aaron and his sons with these garments, and then anoint them and ordain them. Set them apart as holy so that they can serve as my priests.
1: Thank you, Terry. Shabbat shalom. Um, This series of sermons that we're going to launch into um, looks at the whole subject of priesthood. And I thought to myself, you know, if you're familiar with Scripture, with what the Bible teaches about priests, you probably have it stashed away in, in one corner, compartmentalized, and then you probably have absolutely no clue of how to, to make that connection between the priests in the Torah and what it means today. You know, when you think of priests, uh, what the picture that comes to my mind is from the very favorite uh, musical Fiddler on the Roof where you had the old rabbi and people clustered around him and uh, then you had Tevye, the milkman, and um, Tevye was explaining life in this little village called Anatevka. And one of the ways he was explaining it b- was by pointing to himself and the Jewish people who were around, who looked different, Had the men had beards, and then he pointed to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles, particularly the priests, and he said, well, there is us, and then there is them. And I suspect that thinking about priesthood is probably a bit like that. Um, you, you read it, and you, you may have a hard time connecting with what it looks like in life today. So I wanted to pause for a minute and pray and ask that the Spirit of God would bless us with the needed understanding. Father God, we simply ask that as we begin to look at, at this subject that your word teaches a lot about, we pray that each one of us would be given the enlightenment, the discernment from your ruach, from your spirit to know what your word of God is saying and specifically Lord to know what your word of God what your word is saying to us, and that you would cause us to have soft hearts that we will know and understand not only what you're saying, but how you want us to follow and obey. And we thank you, Lord, in the name of Yeshua. Amen. I want to start with a, a, basic, a couple of basic statements, one of which is the fact that God called the nation of Israel to be a nation of priests. Um, When the Mosaic Covenant, when the revelation came from God um, on Mount Sinai, one of the first statements states the following, If you obey me fully and keep my my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. This is Exodus 19. And then in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, Peter takes and expands that to everybody who is a follower of Yeshua, whether they're Jewish or non-Jewish, whether they're, they're Gentiles. And Peter puts it this way, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. I don't know if you if you cut the nuance there, but this is an ongoing thing where God is saying to everybody who is a follower of Messiah that you and I are being transformed, are being built on an ongoing basis for the purpose of being priests. Holy nation, um, this is first Peter 2:5 and then 1 Peter 2 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. So part of, a major part of who we are as children of God, as sons and daughters of God, is based on the reality that we are priests. And a major purpose of that is for us to be proclaimers of the Word of God, and specifically what God did with us. you know if 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 the Lord had come into your life and your life is different and changed and transformed, then on some level, you are naturally like a good customer, if you go someplace. And you get a good deal. You go to your friends and say, you know, I got such a great deal over here and if you need to go and buy um, a hammer, a whammer, or a dress or something, that's the place to go. And this is part of the, um, the reality of what it means to be a priest for God is to be someone who proclaims to other folks what God has done in our life. The second part of it has to do with being intercessors. And what that simply means is learning to pray to God on behalf of people. So you have the the basic definition of a priest is someone who represents God to people, speaks the word of God to people, and also who represents people to God and comes to God and talks to God about the people. Two very, very basic functions. And I wanted to lay that out because as we dive into a description of what it looked like and particularly the the garments, uh, I hope you will not get lost with all the details that you will not lose sight of the forest because of all the trees. And, And there are a couple of items that I I will draw your attention to as we look into a picture of that. And I just want to take a few minutes to define what the garments of the high priest look like and then make some application. What were were those clothes all about? Other than a fashion statement. So let's take a moment and I want to just point out to you what the garments look like and there are basically six six items in this wardrobe um, and and by the way if some of that seems obscure to you realize that it would not have been obscure uh, to the people of Israel because they knew and understood all about that can we have the lights for just a moment and um, if you're standing in the back uh, if you're in the back, you can um, stand and and see this. Um, just several things that I wanted to point out first of all, the invisible the things that you don't see here uh the the linen breeches, which is basically underwear and and then a tunic which was a a linen Shift or a robe underneath all that, uh, then you have this robe, this blue robe in Hebrew called techelet, um that runs all the way down from the shoulders down to the um, to his feet, and then there 's something called an ephod, which, depending on who you talk to, whether you talk to Jewish scholars or Christian scholars, will look a little different. But it basically looks like an apron that's connected all the way to this shoulder piece up here. Um, And we'll talk about what the ephod looks like. And then here you have the breast piece that has 12 stones in it. And um, we'll talk about what the 12 stones represent. And then here on top of the shoulders you have two onyx stones um, that are also very symbolic and then the priest is wearing the turban and on the turban there is a gold plate that states holiness unto God can we have the other slide maybe it's a little clearer so you you have the same basic Uh, layout, except here the ephod looks a little different. It doesn't really look so much like an apron, but a large vest. So perhaps you've seen this, perhaps you haven't, but this is sort of a uh, a visual um, of what the high priest's garments looked like on 364 days out of the year. Okay, can we have the lights, please? First, first of all, the details, the trees of, of the forest. Um, in the section that Terry read to us, we see that the, uh, the ephod, which was the, the major showy piece, so to speak, uh, was made of blue cloth. And it had... Um, Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn all around it, I, and it was um, and it had pomegran- uh, uh, golden bells and pomegranates to alternate around the the hem of the garment. I, you know and for us, it doesn't sound like a big deal. You know you, you go to a store, you pick up fabric, uh, or you pick up yarn of one kind or another. It comes prepared with dye. Uh, Do you really think much about it? Um, You know, Joy, when she goes um, to a fabric store, she just picks out whatever she wants. What we don't understand is that those dyes were incredibly expensive. The blue dye, the techelet, came from a snail... And in order to get 1.4 grams, it's been estimated that they needed to get 12,000 specimens. Just do the math on that and realize how expensive just the blue was, and then you had the the purple and the blue that also had to be uh, gotten from special from special sources, and there was a huge trade of I- involved in that. Then you had the gold, interwoven with all these with all these colored dyes. And if you do the math and think about the amount of gold that was just in the afod, in the in the apron-looking l- thing, you, you're looking at huge amount of money. And remember that this came from a nation of slaves. Um, it came from. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how that the, peop- the people of Israel gave what they had. It, was bracelet- it came from bracelets and nose rings. A lot of bracelets and a lot of nose rings in order to get that gold. And then, of course, the breast piece itself, when you think about it, um, the twelve stones were precious stones. Each one of them would cost an arm and a leg today. It was about nine inches. As I mentioned earlier, there were two onyx stones that were attached on the shoulder, 12 stones here. And then this um, breast piece was actually folded over and inside it was additional stones and they were called the Urim and Thummim which everybody of course wanted to know what they were because scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot this is typical where the word of God gives us a whole bunch of details we're not too interested where we park and write books on and send expeditions to are the things that are that have very little detail basically the Urim and Thummim um, were sanctified lots when they needed a question they used the lots basically like a dice or perhaps there were letters on the Orem and Tumim that were thrown and a basic question was given God should we go and fight the Philistines and with one of those uh, the Orem was, was uh, negative and the Tumim was positive if whichever one came forth that's what they went and by the way, the early disciples of Yeshua used lots to determine who was going to be the next apostle. You know, for us it doesn't make a particle of sense. Um, but this is something that was part of the get-up for the priest. The other thing I wanted to, to mention: of, well, there was the sash. Then the turban had the plate that said on it, "Kodesh La Adonai." Holiness unto God. Now, what is that about? It simply means that this was a label that, that the high priest belonged to God. It's basically like a clothing tag that you have on one of your garments that says this is um, Mark Miller's shirt shirt. Um, it belongs to to a, a particular individual. So very, very ornate. And we'll come back to that. I just wanted to give you a, a basic um, fast forward through the priest's garment because I want to come to what I consider is the meat of the matter. And that is not the p- particular details and, and the threads and, and so on, but rather what was it about? What was the purpose for having these clothes verse 3 we we saw that the Lord tells Moses to tell uh, the people make garments for his consecration that's in in verse 3 of 28 and then verse 2 make holy garments for Aaron your priest for glory and for beauty. Now you've heard the saying that clothes really don't make the man. In this case they did. Why? Because you look at Aaron the priest and you knew that he was set apart for a particular job. He was holy in the sense of setting apart. He belonged to God. Um, They were designed, these clothes were designed to give him dignity and honor not in the sense of making him feel that he was above everybody else and we'll talk about that portion a bit he was set apart and he was to be given special authority as God's representative and he was to function in the confidence as God's servant but it was certainly not something designed to, to show Aaron or the other high priests that in and of himself he was something special. And we get confused with that, folks. When God takes an individual and raises him up and, or her up and gives them authority, and by the way, authority simply means the delegated power to accomplish something that God puts before you, then what happens is people get puffed up forgetting that it's all about God and it's all about service to God. So Aaron was set apart to serve God. And yes, he was very showy. You looked at Aaron, you knew that this guy was someone who was different and someone who had a special job. But you know, what really grabbed me the little stuff that you might have missed and that is in verse 40 it states make tunics, sashes and headbands for Aaron's sons to give them dignity and honor when you think about that the tunics were under everything they were not visible so why on earth does it say here that these tunics were designed to give them dignity and honor or glory and beauty and it was part of it part of the outfit was for people but a major part of it was for the priest himself to realize that he had a special calling when he put on that linen tunic he knew that god had given him a special job and that god was going to keep him accountable that he would have to give an answer to god for what he did what he didn't do And I'm going to go off uh, on a bit of a tangent here because when God gives us authority to do things, we have to remember that the authority, the power, is not ours. It's God's. And that we have to treasure it and hold it carefully because it's something that is God's. It's given to us to do something very special. And when we forget that, we take the authority and we want to run with it, wee, and do all kinds of crazy stuff. And if we really understand who God is, what it means to serve Him, we will be sober, we will have an attitude of awesomeness to know that God had called us to serve Him. And given us that special power to do that. It is a holy, very precious responsibility. Power goes with it. And the power from God has to be something that is invested properly. Or else we have to give an account to God for that for what we do. Everything was defined, including, including the britches, by the way, which are stated as being given as something to cover the flesh of his nakedness. Literally it's what it says. Why? Because the the Canaanites and the people around them their religious practices were not exactly what you call modest. There was so-called sacred prostitution as part of the religious practices of the Canaanites and part of God taking the nation of Israel and setting the people apart and saying, you are mine. You belong to me. I have the tag that says Kodesh LaDonai. You belong to me, to no, nobody else, to no other God. Like we read today in the in the Ten Commandments. I am a very jealous God. I don't tolerate you running off and chasing other gods and goddesses. So all of that was designed to say, to the whole nation of Israel and to the priest and to the Levites and anybody else who was serving God you belong to me in the case of Aaron the high priest you have all these precious uh, threads precious dyes and, and the gold as a means of showing not so much how precious Aaron the priest was, but showing how precious God is. In fact, what, when you look at these uh, several passages in scriptures that talk about God, what God looks like, he, he's not presented as, as an old man with a white beard, by the way. What you see is images of precious jewels And and the overwhelming light uh, shining, which simply is designed to say, when you are in the presence of God, it is immensely precious and costly and valuable to know that you are God's and that He has called you into His sanctuary and into His service. How costly was it? Verse 35, if he doesn't wear the proper clothing, he is to die. In fact, it states that more than once in the instruction for the garments for the priest, Aaron must wear it when he ministers. Verse 35, the sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die. Verse 43, Aaron and his sons must wear them whenever they enter the tent of the meeting or approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they will not incur guilt and die. This is not exactly a user-friendly God in the sense that we think of him. You know, um, the polls, such as Gallup and so on, state that 90-some percent of Americans believe in God. But then when asked, they give all kinds of definitions that suggest that the God they believe in is someone who is very convenient. Someone who they basically put in a container and in the need of time they take him out when they're hurting or struggling or they need help and they cry, God help me. The image that we have of God here is dramatically different And the priests were to know just how precious being in God's presence was. You know, according to Jewish tradition, when the high priest came out of the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, everybody sighed. Why? Because they were relieved that he wasn't nuked when he was in the presence of God. In fact, there's another tradition that states that there was a rope tied to the high priest's ankle that when the bells ceased tinkling, that people would take the rope and pull the priest out because at that point he had given up the ghost. You know, think about it, folks. It boggles the mind, doesn't it? Because for us, who are conditioned by loose morals that are typical of the culture, the notion that God is supremely and unbelievably holy is something that's beyond us. That as and as we learn to understand who God is, we will be sober, not depressed, but sober, by the knowledge and understanding of just who God is and what it means to be in His presence. That's on one hand. On the other hand, Scripture presents to us this amazing story that I've mentioned once or twice before. This amazing story that shows us just who God is. In the book of Zechariah chapter 3, Zechariah sees this vision of the high priest at that time, Joshua. And this is sort of in a heavenly court. And you have God sitting on the throne. And you have the angels. And here you have Joshua. You know, the camera zooms in on, on Joshua. And Joshua is wearing defiled clothes. And what the Hebrew literally means is clothes that are poopy, have excrement on them. Kind of hard to visualize that in a sense, but when you think about it, what it simply means is that Joshua, representing the nation of Israel in that day, was someone who was covered with and sautéed with sin. Sin. And he stood before the presence of God. And based on what we see here in the Torah, God would have been justified to say, you're you're out of here. Pull him away. Uh, Again, this is a vision uh, that Zechariah has. But instead what God says, the angel of the Lord says, take off his filthy clothes. See, I have taken away your sin. I will put rich garments upon you. And, and when you tune into that fact, the amazing, unbelievable love and chesed of God and His ability to bring redemption, it brings things into perspective because on one hand you see how incredibly righteous and holy God is. On the other hand, you realize just how merciful God is that even when we do come into the presence of God and we are defiled, as long as we want to receive the cleansing, and as long as we desire to become holy, God will see to it that that happens. Do you believe that? At least for me, sanity saver. Because the truth is, you know, we all get up in the morning, we have bad days, didn't sleep well, um, our spouse is grumpy, or we are grumpy, or a kid is grumpy and bills are not being paid, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we come into the presence of God and we pray, and we know full well that we're standing in the presence of God with poopy clothes, that we're not clean and righteous and, and holy and so on, and yet our hearts want to be with God, our hearts want to enter into His presence, into His sanctuary, into His holiness, and we simply pray, Lord, would you please take these defiled clothes and put new clothes on me. That's the awesome message of the Word of God that gives us hope. Because on one hand, we see our defilement, and folks, defilement is reality for us. It's either out there in the world, what we read, what we see, what we hear, Oral defilement is right here in us. Yeshua says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's all kinds of stuff in us that every so often percolates and comes to the surface. And you step back and say, Ooh, did that really come from me? Short answer is yes. And understanding and reveling in God's. God's covenant-committed loyal love means that we come and we say, Lord, would you please take off these clothes and put new clothes on, upon me? Again, metaphorical, metaphorically and spiritually. We have a number of examples of that and I'll just barrel through a number of those. Isaiah 61.10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God for he hath clothed me with garments of salvation. 61.3, where we see the promise to provide for those who grieve a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Did you hear that? A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Where do you get that? You you don't go to to Macy's uh, to get this garment of praise. You get it from God. And if you find yourself having a spirit of despair, you don't try to airbrush it because God knows you. He knows all your stuff. He knows all your junk. Instead, you come and you say, Lord, here I am. Spirit of despair, right here. Next to the word despair and depression in the dictionary, you'll find me. Sometimes we all feel that way, right? I'm the only one, right? And we simply say, Lord, would you take this junk off me? This ratty, greasy, disgusting-looking, torn outfit of despair and depression, etc. And would you please put the garment of praise? Because I want to praise you. I want to worship you. I want to walk in your ways. I want to be holy as you are holy. Revelation 19.8, fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints, the God's children. If you were to tie some of these strands together, you see that God demands that the priests be committed to high standards of holiness. Because you and I, folks, represent God. God. Where you and I go, God goes. Now this is not an ego trip. It's reality. If God is in your life, where you go someplace, God goes with you. Which also means there are places you don't want to go because you really don't want the Lord to go with you and say to you, what are you doing here? Where, where we go, God goes. Yeshua said, you're the light of the world. That's reality. You're the salt of the earth. That's reality. We represent God. We represent His reality, His presence in the world in which we live. Amen. Part of the most difficult aspect of this is our relationships how we relate to one another you know you you can be holy in the presence of God and then be absolutely godless in how you relate to other people and for your reading I was gonna say pleasure it's not so much pleasure but for your uh, edification and challenging in the bulletin please don't turn to it now We have an insert called, So, someone has stepped on your bunions. Which happens, Yeshua has answers. It basically lays out the scriptural pattern for what we do when there is conflict between one person and and another. Please take it and read it as you're able. We'll come back to it at another time. So you listen to this and you say, I really don't feel like being a priest. But it first of all, folks, begins with you and I like Aaron. Aaron, the high priest, stood in the presence of God. And he was talking, he was there when the presence of God hovered between the two cherubim. Being a priest is first of all knowing and understanding the presence of God and wanting to be holy. Psalm 24 Who may I send the hill of the Lord who may stand in his holy place he who has clean hands and a pure heart who doesn't lift his soul to an idol and swear by what is false. Folks, what that means simply is that if you're serious about God, if you're serious about holiness, then you would welcome Him and say to Him, Lord, um, you are welcome to come and, and to clean me up. And where I am not on target, I'm not getting it, please come and clean me. I want that. I want to be holy. I want to be righteous. I want to be like you are sometimes, folks, it's very difficult. And I want to share with you an experience that happened this week and just my own personal struggle with it. Um, How many saw the YouTube presentation of what took place in in Atlanta, Georgia a couple weeks ago? Okay, looks like everybody did. Uh, Or most people did. And for me as a Jew, watching that Uh, it pushed all kinds of buttons. And uh, outrage is is a word that covers it. Because particularly as a son of Holocaust survivor, to see a man cavalierly holding a Torah and being inappropriate with the Torah that came from Birkenau and Auschwitz, was something that for me was over the top. I I, I, I can't describe it. And we, Yeshua Zion, has put out a statement um, in conjunction with others in the Messianic Jewish community and it's on our website. I encourage you to check it out and look at it. Um, Rory did a a great job in, in terms of bringing together other responses. But, you know, as I was praying for God's work in this, you know, my first inclination was to say, God, would you nuke the guy? <laughs> um, would you judge him? He clearly needs to be judged. Uh, he is not willing to listen. Whoop him upside the head. Use a 2x4, a 2x6. Um that was my first inclination and as I started to pray for the situation you know the sobering thing was th- the basic reality that God is the righteous judge that he's the only one who knows the entire score and that where Ralph Messer is out to China God will judge him And it's a sobering and a scary proposition for all of us who are proclaiming the Word of God. We are representing God. And if we do it in a way that is inappropriate, you know that one way or the other, God will get our attention. Either the easy way, as I say to my grandson, we'll do it either the easy way or we'll do it the hard way. God will get his attention. And I started to realize, you know, that not all the sin was out there. And part of the conviction that came upon me was the fact that we in the Messianic Jewish community listened to all the stuff that was coming forth, and we were basically indifferent. You know, we said, what can we do about it? And I, I don't have a prescription. I don't have a 10 steps to this. But I realized that in the very least, we have the, the demand of a holy God to come before him like, like the priest and, and heartfelt say, Lord, please, would you please change this? This is inappropriate. It's inappropriate. It brings shame to you. It brings shame to us. It confounds the Jewish community when they look at this stuff and they're confused about who Yeshua is, what it means to be messianic and so on and so forth. If you understand about God's holiness, you recognize not just the sin out there but you recognize the sin in here. And so we put out the statement that we did, folks, with a great deal of humility. Because we stand in awe of the holiness of the righteous judge. We recognize our own sin. But at the same time, we are crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, please, enough is enough. This is unacceptable. We can fix it. You can. You've called us to be priests. You've given us authority as sons and daughters of yours, as servants of yours. And we're just going to come and say, Lord, we take on the garments of salvation. We take on the mantle of praise. We seek you on behalf of what is taking place in humility That you know exactly what is wrong. You have the power to change it. And we welcome you to do your will. God knows the stuff that's out there. God knows the stuff that's inward. You know, just like we saw with the garments that the the Lord presented the showy parts of the garments the uniform of, of the priest he also insisted on the right kind of inner garments and we simply want to say Lord we are your servants what is our assignment equip us to do that assignment for us to serve as your priests that's really it that's really it, folks. You know, there's a lot of hubbub, and that's something that became convinced of t- this week. Things just coming and coming and coming, and and at some point you step back and say, Okay, Lord, you're a holy God, you're a righteous God, you're the righteous judge. I want to be sure that I am walking in the path that you have prepared for me. Depend and trust that you will set in order out there what is out of order. Would you please stand? Avinu Malkeinu, our Father and our King, we praise you and exalt you and honor you, Lord, for who you are, a holy and a righteous God. We thank you, Lord God, that you would be well justified to nuke us, Lord God, because of our sin and our defilement. And yet, Lord, We thank you that you offer for us to have those defiled clothes taking off and clean, holy clothes being put on. Lord, that's our desire. That's our desire. We want in this world, in this perverse world, Lord, we want to be able to be lights, We want to be able to be salt. Lord God, we want to be your representatives to a hurting and a broken humanity. Lord God, would you transform us and make us into holy servants of yours, Lord. Holy priests, Lord, who represent you as you desire to be represented Lord God, speak to each of us. Give us, Lord God, a picture of what that looks like in our own individual lives, Lord. Be honored, Lord God, in the transformation that takes place in us. We ask this in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen.